Welcome in to Two for One Drafts. Austin Gale here, the host of Two for One Drafts, a rookies and draft prospects podcast. Today we have bold predictions, 16 bold predictions for 2021 offensive rookies. We're going to do defensive rookies the following week today, running backs, wide receivers, quarterbacks, the lots. And then also at the back end of the podcast, an interview with longtime Utah head coach Kyle Whittingham, a guy with a ton of experience coaching there in Utah, also coached under Urban Meyer for a bit. Also his dad, Fred, Mad Dog, Whittingham, a really good conversation about Utah football and some of the defensive backs that have come out of Utah of late. You know, Julian Blackman, Terrell Burgess, Jalen Johnson, Marcus Williams, been a factory there at Utah. A lot of good conversation with Whittingham. Let's get it. Recording this June 15th, 2021, no updates after recording the podcast yesterday. However, we did have some good discourse over a recent development in your love life, in your love circles. If you could elaborate, I have some comments. I have some feedback. This isn't love life at all. This, this is always, it's always love life with you, Mike. <laughs> Someone I know, this is a new thing for me. The first person You've I- You've known intimately. No. No? Oh, okay. Maybe I don't know. Go ahead. Oh, okay. So this is someone I know uh, started an OnlyFans. Like someone that I am friends with. Oh, okay. A girl that I like this is the first time that has happened that I've someone like I've know of people around the Cincinnati. Like area. you've hung out with her before. Yes. And like talked to her. And like she worked at a gym I used to go to. Mm. Um and it's not like I know of people around the Cincinnati area that also have OnlyFans, but I'm not friends I, with them. Yes, exactly. Um and so basically the first thing that goes to my head is I have to subscribe, right? Yeah. I, I just have to you well, got So know. how did you originally find out about it? So she posted on her Snapchat. Wow. Which was a play. And I was like, all right. I mean, it's 2021. Whatever you want to do. Hey, however you want to make your money. I'm not judging by any means. But I also have to subscribe. Like, I, I just. I don't right? know if that's true. Like, do you have to subscribe? I feel like you just, you got to. You got to support small business. I don't know if that's <laughs> true. I don't know if that's true. So you subscribe to the OnlyFans. I guess it's, I mean, to use the Snapchats, to leverage your own social media channels to promote that, it just feels like it's a risky play. I know. I was very, I was just very surprised. Uh, she would, did not strike me as, I mean, no one strikes you as type that would start on OnlyFans. Well, but, eh, some of the okay, chicks yeah, <laughs> maybe not so Maybe not so true. But I just, you, so if you knew someone who started OnlyFans, you would not. I don't Autom think so. That's to me is an auto subscribe. I, at maybe least for a, a Maybe month. it's an I, auto trial. I, I, like it's at least a trial. I don't know if she's she offering free trials. They, they don't no? give okay. And so what are we talking here? Is it like a Rex Ryan feet hub or 15 a month? Uh, no nudes. No nudes. Yeah. Well, I mean, it sounds like it's just an Instagram account at that point. I mean, I don't know what's going on here. You're paying $15 a month to see no nudes. Well, I'm not paying $15 a month anymore. I'm going to unsubscribe. Oh, why are you going to unsubscribe after seeing some of it? Well, that's what you got one month. Yeah. Is what you get. Dude, I was listening to a TikTok on Riley Reed talking about her OnlyFans. And uh, she was saying that she makes the most money like creating other dudes' dick pics. Like they'll they'll send them that. What a finesse. That's just insane. Like that's, that's such insane. an easy upgrade. Mm, okay, I was about to say I'll grade it. If it makes that much money, but I immediately stop myself. I will not be grading your dick pics. All right, let's just start do grading some draft prospects. To clarify, do not send dick pics into two point drafts. <laughs> let's just start sending some, let's start grading some draft, yeah. draft picks here. Only fans though. Support small businesses is kind of the end takeaway there. I think we should have more morals to each story. 
support small businesses yeah. where they're trying they're to have hurting. success. They're hurting. They're definitely hurting. All right. We're going to do 16 bold predictions for offensive rookies here. I have eight. You have eight. I have not seen yours. Have you seen mine? I've not seen yours either. So we came up with these independently of each other. All righty then. Well, let's go ahead and you kick us off. You kick us off with your first bold prediction, offensive rookie bold prediction. Bold prediction, third round pick, safety, the Jacksonville Jaguars, Andre Sisco leads all rookies. offensive rookies. The name of the podcast is Offensive Rookies, Mike. Back to the drawing board. Back to the drawing board. Want me to start? Yeah. Too busy freaking subscribing to OnlyFans and stuff that you don't even have time to actually research. I'll start. Trevor I Lawrence. Just, I thought it was just. I'm starting out hot. I'm starting out hot. Trevor Lawrence doesn't rank, doesn't rank inside the top 10 in PFF grade in 2021. Wait, doesn't rank inside the top 10? No. I think he ranks outside the top 10. I think his supporting cast has been overrated. Everyone's talking about DJ Chark. LaVisca Chanel Jr. looks like the best receiver there. People are super excited about you know, uh, Travis Etienne. He's getting reps at wide receiver. I think the offensive line is not as good as they say it is. I also think DJ Chark, to some, some degree, is a bit overrated in terms of what he is as a receiver. Not a true separator. Not a guy that I think Trevor Lawrence has had. Obviously, he's had success with other guys before that are of that bigger frame. But T. Higgins is a better separator than DJ Chark, in my opinion. DJ Chark also coming off injury all i'm saying is and we've had a lot of conversation about this is the best prospect since andrew luck andrew luck did not hit the ground running andrew luck it took time and the indianapolis Colts supporting cast what do you what do yeah. you he, yeah. did not, he did not rank inside the top 10 in pff grade until you know i think two years into his nfl yeah. career and then really started to hit his stride right before retiring from the nfl i think not not because trevor lawrence isn't a great prospect i just think it's been overhyped to the point that how fast he's going to hit the ground running, especially with how many new faces are there for Jacksonville. It's an entirely new coaching staff. Urban Meyer coaching in the NFL for the first time ever. There's going to be some growing pains here. And if there aren't, this is absurd. And I know Chris Collinsworth on the Chris Collinsworth podcast said this could be a 10-win team. And the AFC South, you know, with the Titans adding Julio Jones, Colts, I think, are still tied to be the favorite to win that division. I like their chances more than other divisions. It's not the toughest division in football. But still, I think there's almost too much newness for all these people to hit the ground running. I, and even with the, you know, less than a brief, you know, COVID-19 not impacting this offseason, I think it's going to take more time than people think. All right. I mean, I, I think the fact that it is bold of you to say Trevor Lawrence won't be a top Yeah, that, QB. that in and <laughs> of itself, it is bold of you to say. It is like, is, that's how good Trevor Lawrence is. It is. So I, I, I I don't think, like, it It would be, there's not a lot of quarterbacks that do great inside the top 10. So I, I don't think that's that bold, to be honest. I, I think it's more bold to say the other way. It would be more unlikely if he is the other side, if he is a top 10 quarterback. Uh, you think it's one. more bold to say he will be a top 10 quarterback? Yeah. Okay. Okay. I'm just gotcha. saying. Fair enough. But I also think he will be a top 10 quarterback. So uh, I, can we talk a little bit more about the Jaguars supporting cast? Because I do think it's been something that's been discussed a lot about. Like, I think it's him. more than good enough. Okay. Do they have enough. a top 20 receiver in the NFL? No. Do they have a top 25 receiver in the NFL? They have a good starting three, though. A good starting three, none of which are top 25 receivers in the NFL. Okay. Okay, I'm just saying, Marvin Jones, DJ Chark, LaVisca, Chanel Jr., those are not top 25. I, they're not, um, PFF ranked all 32 wide receivers. None of them made the top 32. That's fine. I don't think, I just think it's been <laughs> overstated. And I don't think, I think this offensive line is not as good as people think it is either with Cam Robinson and so forth. I, I think they have a top 20 receiving core and a top 20 offensive line. Okay. So. Right at 19. That, right at 19. Yeah, like, <laughs> yeah, right at 19 or 20 for both. But it's like, that's more than good enough to win if you have the quarterback. Yeah, so. All right. Well, I'm interested to see. I'm interested to see how quickly things come together. Um, right. Also, Gardner Minshew cut his hair, so I think that's a factor. You know, I think Gardner Minshew not bringing I mean, that. He didn't want to compete with Trevor's locks, dude. 
but Gardner cutting his hair <laughs> honestly made me upset. That was he had some also flow. like his new haircut was, but not good. <laughs> yeah, it was not good. <laughs> it was not good. Not to not to hate on I'm, the artist. Yeah. Or, is, do you call them artists? I don't think you do. Anyway, yes, uh, you're up. Do you actually have an offensive player? I do. Bold prediction. I have. I had a bunch. Luckily, I had more offensive. How many of them defensive. do you have only fans that you subscribe to? Go ahead. I have this one. Maybe not the boldest. Cal Pitts breaks the rookie tight end receiving record. Oh wow! Yes. What is the record? And no, so it's Mike Dicka, one thousand six. Mike Dicka has the record. Yeah, that record hasn't been broken for that long in the passing era. That's what I looked it up. One thousand is one thousand seventy six yards. Mike Dicka in fourteen games. What a That's year! Insane. <laughs> also, by the way. That's but, insane. So, so one seventeen seventeen games, but now also it's like he without Julio Jones there. Yeah. That's I think he's the, projected over 100 targets. Yeah, I mean, I mean, and also that that Falcons offense is one that should be projected to be passing the football a lot mm -hmm. with their defense and the run game or lack thereof. So, um, yeah, Kyle Pitts breaks rookie tight end yardage record. I like it. I think that's maybe not that bold. I think a lot of people. It's not are that bold. Yeah, 17 but, games. Also, he's going to get a ton of targets. He's yeah. a clear number two in that offense. Um, so. Even though a lot of people like Russell Gage. Um, I'm excited about that one. According to PFF's projections, he's projected over 100 targets, I think over 800 receiving yards across a 17-game schedule if he does play all of those games. I got next one here, staying on a quarterback. Zach Wilson throws for more passing yards than Trevor Lawrence, which I know goes against PFF's projections. I think they're at, he has, they have Zach Wilson at, or we have Zach Wilson at 3998 and Trevor Lawrence around 4100. I think, one, I think the Jets might be behind in games more. Two, I also think I really like, I like the Jets supporting cast more than I like the Jags. I think they have a better offensive line, potentially. Obviously, there's some missing pieces on the interior, but I think they might have a better offensive line, and their receiving core is better. Denzel Mims, Elijah Moore, they re-signed Jamison Crowder, Corey Davis. I think this is a better receiving core uh, for Zach Wilson as well. I think this is going to be, and they got you know Mike Lafleur. I, I do think that Zach Wilson throws from him passing yards. He might not grade better, but I think the numbers are going to look really good for Zach Wilson in year one. Whose offensive line would you rather have, Jets or the? Jags. Let me double check the interior because I feel like I have a good hold of the tackles here, but let me let me check on the interior because I don't like Cam Robinson. I'm not a big fan of I mean, I do think Juwan Taylor has played well, but still not not in not a top twenty tackle in the NFL. Yeah. That's not what he's been. You know, you got Elijah Vera Tucker, Mackay Beckton on the left side, Connor McGovern on the interior. Then you got Greg Van Roten with Scary and the George, George Fat. But the right side yeah. is a little scary. So by the time this goes, they may have signed Morgan Moses. They're interested in Morgan Moses. They signed Morgan Moses. I'd probably rather have the Jets. Yes. If not, I'd probably rather have the Jets. Because the Fant factor. The Fant factor. The Fant factor probably keeps me in Jacksonville. But still, if they do sign Morgan Moses, I'm, I'm on board, man. I'm on yeah. board with uh, the Jets offensive line and the Jets receiving core. Better situation. I'm all about it. I disagree. Just because Trevor Lawrence. You know how I thought. You know what I thought Trevor Lawrence. Good that was about, great you know, delivery. I disagree. I, I do think both will have a lot of opportunity to pass. Yeah. They, they, have they can both clear 4,000 passing defensive, yards. Uh, although I do think the Jets, if I had to pick one, the Jets probably be better this year defensively. Just the coaching factor there. I, okay, I'm going to stick with the Jets. I have a Jets one here. Very with Zach Wilson. And that's Elijah Moore is going to be the Jets leading receiver. Oh, I have a contradicting contradicting prediction there. Oh, you son of a bitch. Don't you dare. Uh, Elijah Moore, though. Jets leading receiver. One, I, I see a very Debo Samuel-esque introduction to him to the offense. Really? In that he's going to be the guy that gets the screens, the pop passes, the whatever, especially after uh, Jameson Crowder got his contract cut in half. They obviously think that more. Like, obviously drafted more, and we're willing to get rid of Crowder to give him targets. So I do think that in that offense – 
it's going to be very favorable to him producing early on. And I also just don't think Mims or Corey Davis are special dudes, whereas I do think more is. I do think, so with the contract restructure for Jameson Crowder, they, he was a potential cut candidate with how that contract was structured. Like, he, they could have cut yeah. him easier before the restructure. So they kind of committed to him for this season. And I don't think they do that unless they want to involve him, right? They're going to involve him in the slot. And for that reason, it's like, okay, is Elijah Moore going to split reps on the outside with Denzel Mims and Corey Davis? I think, I'm not saying there's too many mouths to feed, but in terms of seeing the field, I don't know. I have Elijah Moore bold prediction. He goes under 700 yards and under five TDs. I, I, just because I don't, I think they're going to spread the ball around more than people think. And I think even if he does get that Debo Samuel stuff, it's going to have to be a lot of targets. If he's got that low average depth of target, it's going to have to be a lot of targets to get up there. And I think, again, too many miles to feed is a, a cliche I don't like with how mediocre, not mediocre, but like okay the receiving core is. But I think Corey Davis is going to see snaps. Denzel Mims has to see snaps. You have to see, you have to see that second year development yeah. from Mims. And then Jameson Crowder, why yeah. would you, why would you restructure that contract if you're not going to have him a part of the offense? So unless you have him as this like kind of player coach role and actually Elijah Morrissey snaps ahead of him, that's going to be an interesting development for a lot of what? She just call him a player coach role. I'm just saying, like maybe, maybe Jameson Crowder isn't a starter. Like, or would you say he is? A, is Jameson Crowder a starter for the Jets? I mean, not if I'm predicting Elijah Morrissey. Exactly, that's what I'm saying. Like, did you do this? Did you do this to keep him as a player coach, or did you do this to start him? Because you could have cut his ass before the restart. I mean, you're, you obviously play four wide at times, but... Uh, four wide at times? You're going to play, like, fucking what, less than 10% of the time. Yeah, I know. Like, and you always want talent anywhere. <laughs> Wait, I mean, I'm just saying, like, you'd rather keep him than cut him outright, and they did. All right. That's what I'm Fair saying. Fair enough. Fair enough. Well, I might, that, uh, that's my counter prediction. Elijah Moore goes under 700 yards and under five touchdowns in 2021. I, I'll just say I disagree. Uh, Debo Samuel... His rookie year, 17 screens thrown his way. 17 screens. He didn't even play the full season that year. So How many yards did he finish for? He finished 800 yards, over 800 yards. Oh, so, wow. Uh, as a rookie. So that's a, that. That's what I'm predicting. All right. And I'm going to stick out of the Jets. I had multiple Jets with six. Jeez. I, uh, Elijah Vera Tucker is going to be the highest graded rookie offensive lineman in the NFL. Hell yeah. I like that. I mean, I, I can't disagree with that. I think if, of all the guys, he's going to come in and hit the ground running really quickly and playing alongside Mekhi Becton. Yep. I think and, that's, that's going to be very and helpful. And a scheme that I think is going to be play to his strengths probably the best out the gate of any of those three that i guess like slater sewell him other guys that anyone would say are going to be the top graded so and that's like i said the scheme's gonna play best to his strengths of any of them and he's going up against a division where maybe not the best interior talent in the nfl you're not facing the best interior yeah. like pats bills maybe at oliver take step forward but like Dolphins, uh, there's no real difference maker there. They got to worry about them. That, that is going to be interesting because last year, I remember watching every single week, Tristan Wirfs, you know, he was obviously the highest graded rookie offensive lineman last year and one of the highest graded rookie offensive tackles we've ever seen since 2006. Every single week going back and watching just how quickly he was hitting the ground running and how much he was getting better every single week against top flight competition. Tristan Wirfs was like one of the most fun watches of any rookie every week because a lot of our process for the 2-4 drafts podcast has been after the you know Sunday games, watching a lot of the rookie snaps and seeing how they perform, like Tristan Wirfs every single time, really really impressive tape. I think Elijah Vera Tucker is going to be in that same vein, a must a must rewatch every single mm. week because obviously going to be tough on the broadcast film to see just how much he's dominating. But still, if he plays a full seventeen game schedule, that's going to be a treat every single week. I'm sticking with quarterbacks here. I got three quarterback bowl predictions, and then obviously the Elijah Moore one that I already hit up. Justin Fields starts by week four. 
So on the Matt, um, a little a little bit of a teaser here on the Chris Collinsworth podcast. Matt Nagy joined Chris Collinsworth. That podcast drops today at some point, but I've already heard it. I've got a little little <laughs> tidbit here. Matt Nagy says there's no way, not no way, but he pretty much says no way that Justin Fields starts week one. The plan is to start Andy Dalton, which he has, that's not something contradictory that he said before, mm-hmm. but the plan right now is to start Andy Dalton week one. But you're looking at the Bears' schedule. They got the Rams out of the gate, which is going to be, which is going to be tough in Los Angeles. Then they take on the Bengals at home. That one could be okay. And then the Browns in week three in Cleveland. Maybe they start out one and two, and Andy Dalton doesn't look all that great. Why not start Justin Fields against the Lions at home, then the Raiders on the road, like those two games to get some confidence, and then you start to see where the schedule goes. I think I could see it by week four. I have a bold prediction here that's contradictory to that. That, yeah, I guess contradictory to that. Justin Fields is going to be the last rookie first rounder to start of the quarterbacks. Oh, wow. Because, and then not nothing to do with Fields. Obviously, we love Fields. He was QB3, number three overall on a draft board. It's everything to do with the situation that the head coach and the GM are in. In that, if you throw Fields out early, and he doesn't play well, it doesn't play well. Um, SOL. That's not good. He plays a full season, 14 games, 13 games, whatever you're suggesting there, and looks bad. Gone. You're screwed. Clean house. GM's gone. Coach's gone. Whatever. You play him two or three games at the end of the year, and he shows something, or like, you know, a few games down the stretch. We got to stay. We got. We got. We got to yeah, see this we through. See through. We got to see the development through, and Matt Nagy especially can pull the Patrick Mahomes card. Mm-hmm. I was there rookie year, Patrick Mahomes. The fact that he sat in the bench until week seventeen is why he is boy, who he is now. He can say that. I yeah. don't know if it's true. He could but, say that. He can. It's like, and he can say that to try to save a job, but he can't say that if Fields comes out and looks like cheeks, you're one. Which a lot of rookie quarterbacks do. A lot of them do. Or just up and down, not necessarily the guy. Then that could be, and they go, you know, whatever. Seven and ten miss the playoffs. Yeah. And I think that's so, less of a your your counter prediction is less of a bold prediction than mine. Cause I do think that Matt Nagy is going into the season. I think Pace is going into the season wanting to see Andy Dalton start for bulk majority, mm-hmm. if not the entire 17 game schedule, and let Justin Fields have a full year under his belt before he enters year two. But let's have this conversation. How often until the locker room starts to rumble? You know, you already got Darnell Mooney smiling mid-deep bomb at Justin Fields' throws. Like, do do how long until the players like, man, we are one in four with Daltona, and we want to see the kids sling it. Like, does the player locker room does that ever enter the conversation for you? Because that's some of what Miami dealt with last year. You know, that's some of what Miami dealt with last year with Ryan opposite, Fitzpatrick though. and Tua Tagovailoa on both sides. Opposite. No, but on both yeah. sides, where yeah. like players are trying to push for certain players to start, and like mm-hmm. you just don't, you don't want that. You know, you don't yeah. want players on on different sides of which quarterback they want to play with and those types of things. That's not good culture. No, I, I mean that's obviously if he looks like the better guy, but I do think Dalton will be an upgrade over Trubisky and Foles from last year in terms of how he operates that offense. Like it, it won't look like a disaster the way it did a year ago. So I, I thought Andy Dalton was going to look a lot better in Dallas, though. And I still don't think he came in and met expectations for me. I thought he was going to be able to enter that offense and have more success. Do you think yeah. Dalton plays better in Chicago than he did in Dallas? Well, they had just a terrible offensive line by that point in time. So I do think he plays better than he did. Yeah. Gotcha. Because Yeah, looking at this past year, the, 69. Well, the offensive line's not any great shakes this year, I will say so. This past year, a 69.5 PFF passing grade for Andy Dalton there in Dallas across what was almost 400 dropbacks. And then, you know, in his career, he's only had one season with an 80-plus PFF passing grade, and that was in 2015. I still think the 
the range of outcomes for Andy Dalton is 65 to 75 is where you're probably going to see him from a PFF passing grade perspective in Chicago. You have to hope it's more towards the 75 and you can leverage that good defense to make a playoff run and, and Matt Nagy and Ryan Pace continue to look forward with Justin Fields as their starter. But still, we will see how that goes down in Chicago. Shall we get now to your next bowl prediction? Yeah, I'll go to my next one and I'll stick to the quarterbacks and I'll say that Davis Mills is the starter in Houston within the first six weeks. No way. You think that? Yeah. That uh, Tyrod Taylor's Goal in life, not goal in life. His his purpose in life is to give way to the next quarterback Stop. within the first five weeks of the season. That I, I just do. I, I think you know what Terod Taylor is, and it's not going to look good with the rest of that talent there offensively in Houston. And when it starts out bad with him the first few weeks, it's going to be like, why, why the hell not? You know, yeah. throw this guy in there because we would have a lot of other options helping us. And we we invested our first pick in this year's draft in that guy. Yeah, it was in the third round, but that was our first time we were drafting. Uh, we got to see what we got. Man, Davis Mills starts that early. This Houston Texans team is going to be in a world of hurt. I do think that, man, Terod Taylor, if he does start more games, their over win total, I think, is at two and a half. Like, I know that the roster's not good, and it's been a joke. They canceled mandatory minicamp. Like, no one even knows what's going on there in Houston. But two and a half games over a 17-game schedule, you almost have to think, like, luck comes into play. At some point, two and a half games just feels too low. And plus, why not choose violence? Why not go into the season with an over two and a half win totals bet on Houston so every single week you're rooting for something, and you get to watch Davis Mills and cheer for that team? I feel like it could be a good time. If you like misery, I mean, I like misery sometimes, you know? No. I can get him bored. No? no? All right. You want to be rooting for them. <laughs> they, what's his face? Yeah. The bald creep. What's, what's his name? Why are you going to make fun of these guys now? Call them out people bald? Okay. Well, I'm just trying to think of who is the guy. What's the guy's <laughs> name? I can't think of his name. The head coach? No. The Oh, uh, Casario? You know what I'm talking about. The religious dude. I don't know who you're talking about. I don't. Okay. The guy, the, the puppet master behind the scenes. Why oh, I, I don't know. Yeah. I don't, I'm losing his name as well. I know who you're talking about. All right. But either way. Well. Houston two and a half win total. I'm interested. Um, we have it's it's an interesting conversation. We're talking a lot about quarterbacks, and I don't think I've gotten your take on what the Denver Broncos should do. You know, Jack Easterby. Jack Easterby. That's right. Yeah. What's what's your take on? I know this is a, a little bit of a sidestep from the rookie conversation, but right now Teddy Bridgewater and Drew Locke taking 50-50 snaps. What do you think is the best case scenario for that team and how they play that quarterback position? Do they give Drew Locke another well, shot? To well, I mean, see I what they best have any- case scenario is Drew Locke beats him out. I think you have an open competition. I, I don't foresee him necessarily looking better than teddy i think teddy's like a sound whatever like just because you know where you're getting with teddy it's not you can lead you to the playoffs i'm not sure he's leading to or i'm not sure i don't he's not leading to a super bowl unless yeah. your defense is all world so obviously you want drew lock to if you're a broncos fan you want drew lock to win that competition because he gives you these he's got more of the unknown untapped there but i i don't think there's not much. There's not much in his profile from the first two years to suggest that he will. Plus, the reports out of minicamp right now is that he's thrown some picks. He's not as accurate as Teddy B, which I guess aren't surprising. I mean, Teddy Bridgewater has been consistently accurate, especially if you go back to that five-game stretch for the New Orleans Saints a few years ago. Before I get to my next bold rookie prediction. Got a message from the sponsors here. And these uncertain times, life is full of questions. Like, when should I start thinking about life insurance? But however difficult these questions may be, Western Southern can help you answer them. Backed by over 130 years of experience, together we can look ahead to leave the unknown 
behind Western Southern Financial Group, life insurance, retirement, and investments. Also, PFF has partnered with Symbol. That's S-I-M-B-U-L-L, the stock market for sports that allows you to trade sports teams like stocks and earn cash payouts when your teams win. Symbol has blended sports and the stock market to offer you a new way to invest and profit off your favorite teams. The MLB is in full swing for the rest of summer, allowing you to earn daily cash payouts. And NFL free agency is still going on. So whoever lands the top of the market player will sure to see their team's stock rise. Use promo code PFF and deposit $10 at symbol.app slash PFF to earn a free PFF annual subscription. That's promo code PFF with a $10 deposit at symbol.app slash PFF to earn a free annual subscription. All right, I'm off the quarterbacks. I'm on the receivers. I know I already gave you my Elijah Moore goes under 700 yards and five TDs. And I like Elijah Moore. So much of that conversation, again, was around just like Corey Davis, Denzel Mims, Jameson Crowder, their contract restructure. I just think the ball's going to get spread around more than we think. And he might not have the requisite targets or the requisite snaps or routes run to clear that figure. But I have Jamar Chase here, a little bit more positive. He's currently projected, I think, a little over 1,000 yards across the seven-game schedule and at like 5.2 TDs, according to PFF's fantasy projections. I got him going over 1,200 yards and seven TDs for the Cincinnati Bengals this year. I know, Quinn, you don't got the mic back there, but I hope you're fist pumping because I do think Jamar Chase not only will be the leading receiver on the Bengals, that's obvious, but I think he's going to clear marks, man. I don't know if he actually gets to Justin Jefferson's 1,400-yard mark, that record, but, man, I think he does clear 1,200. You think he will? I said he would. You said he would. I said he would. Well, I think he clears 1,207 touchdowns this this upcoming season, and people are like legit come away with Jamar Chase as the best rookie receiver You're in the Yeah, I could go bowl and say he's going to break Randy Moss's touchdown record. What's Randy Moss's touchdown record? 17. It's Not his rookie record. Yeah, I think it was 17. He had 17 touchdowns as a rookie? I'm pretty sure. Oh, my God. No, I'm not saying that. That would be it. I don't, I don't know. <laughs> that would be absurd, but I do think he goes over 1,270 of these. Yeah. I think so as well. Yeah, he had 17 as rookie. I think he's going to he's going to be a monster from day one. And I think that offense is going to be built in you know, such a way that it's going to be conducive to him putting up yardage as well. So I can get on board. I do think it's a no-excuses year to stay on the Bengals for a little bit. I do think it's a no-excuses year for Zach Taylor, man. Like, we need to see development from this offense. We need to see development from Joe Burrow. The offensive line is no longer an excuse, in my opinion. Is it great? No, but it's good enough. And I think the receiving core, you have Jamar Chase, Tyler Boyd, T. Higgins, Joe Burrow, defensively, throw it out the window. I don't care if they finish 32nd in EPA per play allowed on defense. Yeah. But if this offense isn't ranking inside the top 15, inside the top 12, there are legitimate concerns. Like, eventually we need to see it. I, I do think Zach Taylor, and I, I think I tweeted this, his, hot, his seat should be hotter from a firing perspective than Matt Nagy and Vic Fangio. I think, the, I think he is in a better situation this year to have success than even those other guys. Yeah, do, you think he, do you think he's the hottest seat in the NFL right now? Who's, who's the hottest seat in the NFL, would you say? You know what? This is, here's an interesting take. Mike Zimmer. Oh, I disagree with that. Zimmer's great DC. You think? Yeah. I, 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 feel like, think... I feel like they've whiffed on some picks in the secondary. They've obviously invested a ton in the secondary. I, I do think the defense has been good, but like we still have not seen significant deep postseason runs outside of obviously the Minnesota Miracle a few years ago. I still don't. Like, when's Mike Zimmer going to go over the top? Like, when are we going to see him go over the top? I don't know. I think Mike Zimmer could be potentially on the he's, hot seat. But like he's arm wrestling. That was that was being more of a bold take. I think Zach Taylor could probably be hotter. John Gruden, though, anyone who's saying John Gruden's on the hot seat is just high. Like, no. Mark Davis is not going to move on from John Gruden. They could be the worst team in the NFL this year. They're not going to move on from John yeah. Gruden. So I do think Zimmer, I think, enters the conversation for me. I think Zach Taylor obviously enters the conversation for me. Yeah, I think it has to be Zach Taylor. I think he has to be the hottest seat in the NFL. If I were to even, like, pick anyone else... McCarthy. I know some people have co- co- concerns about McCarthy. Maybe McCarthy or three. Kingsbury, if the if the Cardinals really fall behind 
in that division. Yeah, early. Kingsbury. That's a guy I think should be on the hot seat. I, agree. <clears throat> I, I think those two, but I don't. I don't know how you can say anyone other than Zach Taylor. Under, I mean, just been a bad team for two straight years and was never was never like a guy. And they're like, and you mentioned the offensive ways where you need to see it. I agree with that because you came in as bringing the McVay tree to Cincinnati, bringing this revolutionary offense or whatever this this guru to Cincinnati has been anything but. And so, and from what I've heard, obviously there's been a lot of positives around like the culture he's brought to Cincinnati and the people he's called, you know, named leaders in that organization, mm -hmm. in that clubhouse. But still, like at a certain point, it's got to lead to dubs. And at a certain point, it's got to lead to, you know, top 12, top 10 offensive play. Because I think they're capable of that. They have enough pieces in place to have that in 2021. We got to see it. Uh, and I think that starts with Jamar Chase. Over 1,200 yards and seven touchdowns in 2021. All right. I will stay at the wide receiver position. And mine was that Terrace Marshall, the Carolina Panthers second-round pick out of LSU, goes for more yards than the three wide receivers drafted before him combined. The, the three right before him. Come okay, on. who were they? They were Rondell Moore, Dwayne Eskridge, and Tutu Atwell. That's actually a fantastic take. So the Panthers lost 851 yards with Curtis Samuel going to Washington. Um, should be, you would think, theoretically improved passing game, or they, they would hope so. Though I gave a second and a fourth rounder for Sam Darnold. Um, and obviously he's going to slot right in there as kind of just all around the number three in that offense. So Also the familiarity with Joe Brady. Yeah, so uh, that and the fact that kind of the guys ahead of him, Rondell, Eskridge, and Atwell are all kind of one-trick dudes. One-trick dudes and also probably not like clear gotcha. favorites to get a, yes. a significant target share. I think so, that's a really good take. Uh, I'm going to stay at the wide receiver position as well. Devontae Smith leads all Eagles pass catchers in yards and touchdowns and goes over 1,000 total yards and five touchdowns. I think his projections are slightly under that. I think he is the leading receiver for Jalen Hurts. I think a lot of people are fading him because Jalen Hurts is projected to be you know, bottom five, bottom eight quarterback in the NFL. But I think the yards have to come somewhere. And I also think they could be behind a decent amount. I think he is going to be Jalen Hurts' top target is going to be Devontae Smith. It's not going to be Jalen Rager. It's not going to be Zach Hurts. It's going to be Devontae Smith. And I think the top target in that offense goes over 1,000 and five touchdowns in 17 games, 100%. It's not Ortega Whiteside. It's not Miles Did Sanders. Did you see the catch, Chiji? No, I didn't week see 17? the catch. And I, you didn't send it to me? The one week 17? The, no, week 17. Oh, week 17 catch. I thought maybe catch. OGAs or something. Oh. Mm. He probably hasn't No, I, it's not going to be Ortega Whiteside. It's not going to be Jalen Rager. It's not going to be Zach Hurts. It's not going to be Goddard. It's going to be Devontae Smith. And I, again, I think the leading receiver in that offense across the 17 game schedule at least clears 1,000 in five TDs. Man, dude, there was, who had the, was it? Who had the take from uh, – did Ian have the take that Devontae Smith's a better fantasy receiver than DJ Moore this year? I think he did have that take. Oof, I can't get bored with that. Do you even know anything about fantasy football? Uh, more catches is better. That, better. See, that's not – you have to factor in, like, target share and all this, like, freaking – all this other shit where, like, how, opportunity matters so much more in fantasy football than Perfect. how good they are. Honestly, yeah. honestly. It matters yeah, so I much mean, more. I just don't think he's going to have opportunity either because they're going to be running the ball and – He's and gonna have opportunity, dude. He's gonna have hurts opportunity. Hurts is gonna be. Hurts. Um, all right, I'll stick with the wide receiver. Oh, position. sorry, Darnold will be better. I apologize. No, I apologize. No, I apologize. <laughs> last, last one at the wide receiver position here for me, and it is Amari Rogers is the clear cut number two in Green Bay. Ooh, I like that. And you weren't even a Amari Rogers guy. But I mean, I'm not a huge Amari Rogers fan, but I do think I'm a bigger fan of him than MVS. Yeah. And uh, Alan Lazard, that's for damn sure. Just in terms of St. Brown's still there too, right? Uh, yeah, St. Brown's still there, but I, I do think that from a route running perspective, I just think he's already better and already going to be more reliable than those two. And now I don't think he's 
you're going to be putting up numbers you know, across Devontae Adams or anything, but I think he is the clear-cut number two in that offense. Number two ahead of Robert Tunyon. Yeah. Wow. I think Tunyon still takes the number two. I think from a numbers perspective, too, I think he finishes more yards than Amari Rodgers. I think it depends. But do you think – so where are you at right now? I know there's been a lot of post-mortem on this, on the Aaron Rodgers conversation. Do you think Aaron Rodgers plays in Green Bay? Do you think he doesn't? Is it Jordan Love? My, my opinion has not changed. I think we talked about this. Or he's not. Oh, maybe I talked about it with Steve. He's, he's just, he's going to either retire or get traded. He's not going to show up to camp. He's, he's not going to show up to camp. He's not going to talk to his family anytime soon. He's going he's gonna to do exactly what he wants to do and not have his mind swayed by a few million more dollars because it's not about the dollars. Yes. It's about the culture, as he's stated. So if it's, if, or maybe he didn't say it, but as is reported. Uh, and if that's the case, that again, that's not changing anytime soon. So I had Eric Eager, VP of Research Development here at PFF, also the host of the PFF Forecast, or no, one of the co-hosts of the PFF Forecast. I think George Turry technically plays a host role on that podcast. He ran the projections for Jordan Love played all 17 games this year. 4,149 passing yards. Huh? Okay, never mind. No. 4,149 passing yards, 24 passing touchdowns, and 15 picks. Your initial thoughts on those numbers? Seems twenty four passing seems TDs generous. Is, yeah, well, the, I think the yardage total is generous. Twenty four touchdowns though is obviously low, and that yeah. ratio is obviously pretty disgusting. So I do think that because uh, if he only throws for twenty four TDs, that means Adams is only going to clear like maybe ten or eleven. Like, that would be that those that would be underwhelming scoring expectations from Jordan Love, and that doesn't even bring up the rushing yards. I think he bumped up his rushing share a little bit, obviously more than when Aaron Rodgers is rushing as well. But your overall thoughts on Jordan Love across a seventeen game schedule? I don't think it's going to be good. <laughs> You don't think it's going to be good? I don't, I don't think it's going to be good if he plays a 17-game schedule for them. I, I, I don't think it'll be a disaster, but I just don't. I think it'll be, yeah, middling numbers like that, picks, mm-hmm. and just not a guy that can elevate. All right, moving to running yeah. backs. Okay. Najee Harris. According to PFS Fantasy Possessions, he is projected a little under 285 combined touches so carries and receptions i think he clears that number i think he goes to 325 plus i think he's going to have a ton of volume in that offense i won't speak to his efficiency i won't speak to his grade i won't speak to have the success of the steelers offense but i do think they're going to ride this kid i think they're going to absolutely give him the football a ton i think he's going to be the clear-cut number one i don't think they're going to want to do a balanced approach with snell and some of the other backs there i think Najee harris is going to be the workhorse i think they're going to want to do you know, they don't run a ton of play action there. They're going to run the football a ton, though. I do think Najee Harris gets a lot of volume. And as a pass catcher, we talked about Najee Harris as a pass catcher. Mm-hmm. And they're already, you know, Ben Rosberg already and him are already connecting there. And I think I've liked the reports out of camp in terms of what the offense wants to do with Najee Harris. And he gets over that number and honestly becomes a legitimate fantasy option because of the volume. I'm very curious to see what the offense will look like now with Matt Canada because he has a unique way in which he goes about scheming out pretty much everything like the motions he's a new guy he's a unique guy yeah and so and a well-traveled guy he's been shit all over the place already over the last decade but not a lot of stops in the nfl mostly college so see what he brings to the table because i think that would be a good podcast roethlisberger has you know obviously been not shy about his disdain for certain aspects of you know play action i think even like shifts in motion stuff like that pre-snap stuff so i'll i'm curious to see what they how they will approach producer dave producer dave go make a play for canada i want to get him on the podcast talk a little bit about big ben talk a little bit about you know the progression of you know this young receiving court juju coming back Najee harris obviously entering the fold let's go get back canada on the podcast i like that your next bowl prediction 
This is my final one. I think I, I only have one more too. Okay. Um, Chris Evans. Running back, Michigan. Running back from Michigan. Going to the hometown Cincinnati Bengals. Getting meaningful touches by the end of the year. Splitting some touches with Joe Mixon. Meaningful touches. Put a number on that. Splitting touches. Splitting touches. So he's playing 50% of the snaps? Splitting. You are sitting on a fence. He's a six-round running back. That's not sitting out of fence. Six-round running back starts How many carries does he get in the last four games total? Put a number on it. Uh, 20. Okay. He's going to average five carries a game over the last four games. <laughs> He's a six-round running back. All right, all right, all right. I mean, you go back and look at how many six-round running backs got any touches it. last I year. I think it's so bold. Dude. I'm He's saying. Gonna, honestly, lead with that at the bars. I think it's a, it's going to freaking pull. Okay. I keep telling people, like, I'm at the bars. I hear Chris Evans. You got to hear you this Oh, guy. the Michigan guy? Yeah. Chris I think you get meaningful reps. Me too. Chris Evans. Me too. What's your number? He has to fight over Samaj P. Run, the NCAA record holder for single-game rushing yards. That's right. All right. Which I should ask a question at trivia. And I got the number wrong. I was sad. That was pretty. Oh, man. I know. A lot of people like Ryan coming out of Oklahoma. Uh, I did not. He's... A little slow. slow. Slow to go. All right. Uh, last one here for me. Michael Carter, UNC running back, ranks top 12 among all running backs in the NFL. If he clears 100 carries, I don't want to do it on a low sample size. Rock ranks top 12 in forced missed tackles per attempt. Oh. And I think Javante Williams, staying with UNC, this is a double. Ranks top 10 in yards after contact per attempt among all running backs. I think both of them clear over 100 carries in year one. I think they 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 put out some Tony Pollard-like numbers. I remember when Pollard was getting like a little over 100 carries, I think a little over 80 carries early in his career, and he was some, ranking some nice really, efficiency. really high. Some really good efficiency numbers. I think Carter and Williams. Force missed tackles for Carter, ranked top 12, top 10 yards after contact per attempt for Javante Williams, UNC running back. We've talked about it a ton on the podcast, but both those guys – ranked, I think, inside the top five and the power five in both those metrics last year. Like, they were legitimate yard creators for UNC and how they approached game. I have to think Carter outsnaps Pirine. Yeah. No? Like, Pirine was just night and day in terms of This is LaMichael now. LaMichael Pirine, sorry, yeah. A lot of Pirines coming on the show. Too many. Uh, LaMichael Pirine at Florida was not, just not... Uh, not it? Not particularly elusive. Yeah. Not not a dynamic back. He's a very kind of just NFL back from a size, speed, whatever perspective, but not a, a guy train tracks that, back. that goes. Yeah, not a guy that goes above and beyond. Which also funny story about Michael P- Michael Pirine. I I met a girl in Orlando one time who uh, that was her ex boyfriend. So that's not a funny story. Oh, that wasn't funny actually. It was just a story. <laughs> that was just a reference about Michael Pirine. <laughs> that's I met a girl that used to date Michael Pirine. Met, you met a girl that used to date Michael Pirine. Said. Uh, she had unfavorable things to say about him, but that was, I mean, that's not about ex. his rushing. Ability. That's an X. Yeah. 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 She I wasn't saying that he's not that elusive, right? What would yeah. she bring? Did she talk about his elusiveness? Well, he's elusive to get stiff. on the phone now. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. I mean, I think Javante Williams too, like has a, a lot of success early on and, and will have high efficiency yards after contact. He broke like the PFF record for single season yards after contact per attempt this past year at UNC young player, Smart player. I think he hits the ground running. I'm excited for both the UNC running backs in 2021. Shall we now get to Kyle Whittingham, longtime Utah head coach. He's been there for, I think, since like the, the 90s. He's been with Utah. Um, a lot of good conversation around some of the defensive backs that have come out of Utah up late. Terrell Burgess, Julian Blackman, Marcus Williams. And I also talked a little bit about this upcoming season. And, you know, they have some really interesting skill players, some good depth at wide receiver and running back. Talked a little bit about that. And obviously the transfer, Charlie Brewer, former Baylor quarterback, now playing there at Utah. A lot of high expectations for Brewer, man. They love Brewer. He calls him a doll, calls him tough. He's just this difference maker 
at the quarterback position, brings an aura about him that a lot of people around the Utah football are excited about. Let's go ahead now and jump to the interview with Kyle Whittingham. Now joining the Super Bowl Draft Podcast is current Utah head coach Kyle Whittingham. Kyle, where I'd like to start, man. I didn't know you were a California guy. Born in San Luis Obispo. I'm from Oakland, California. Went to school at San Diego State. Do you find yourself missing NorCal at all or now that you're down there in Utah? Well, you know, I was born in San Luis, as you mentioned, but grew up down in uh, L.A. County. And so uh moved up here to Utah, gosh, right before high school. So I guess I'm kind of from both places, but but uh, sure miss, miss the weather at times down there. But uh, love it here in Salt Lake City, and so uh, no complaints what, what uh, you know, with where I'm at. Fantastic, man. Where I'd like to start is honestly the experience that you've had in coaching at Utah for a long time now, I think dating back to what, 1994, started there as a Utah defensive line coach, coached under your dad, Fred Mad Dog Whittingham. But you've also had some experience with coaching under Urban Meyer, was there in 2003 and in 2004. What are your kind of, you know, what are some of your major takeaways from the experience that you did have coaching under Urban Meyer, obviously, after now seeing the success at Florida, on to Jacksonville? What were some of the major takeaways you had before you obviously took the reign as head coach there at Utah? Well, first of all, I was on the staff prior to Urban getting the job. I was with Coach McBride, uh, who, who was let go in '02, and uh, I thought I was ready for the head coaching job. And I was a little disappointed when I didn't get it, and when Urban got got the nod. And, and uh, as it turns out, it was the best thing that could have ever happened to me because having the opportunity to work for Urban for two years and, and learn more about uh, you know the ins and outs of, of head coaching and and uh, just being able to watch him and, and uh, work alongside him was, was invaluable. And uh, never, you know, Coach McBride was awesome. We learned a ton about recruiting. That was really his strength, his recruiting and, and uh, you know, the, uh, the way we went about things in that regard. With Urban, it was the meticulous detail, uh, just the day-to-day operations, how, how everything was so uh, mapped out. Nothing was left to chance. Everything was... Everything was uh, mapped out well in advance, and, and just his organizational skills were, were uh, really uh, incredible and uh, something that I really uh, needed to uh, you know experience. And so uh, it was a great two years, and, of course, he went on to uh, Florida and then Ohio State, and now, of course, he's with Jacksonville, so he's had a phenomenal career, but we still remain close friends, and uh, Ted Lord talked to him you know, at least a couple times a month. That's awesome, man. And knowing what you know about you know, his leadership style and how he ran the program there at Utah, how do you feel his skill set will translate to the NFL? Obviously now meeting you know, adult men and, and, and no longer recruiting. You're doing a ton of different things there in the NFL. How do you feel that his skill set will translate to the NFL? I think it will translate very well. and He's uh, extremely intelligent and understands that it's uh, a different athlete you're working with and a different mindset. Uh, you can't treat professional players like you treat college players. It's, it's a different, uh, it's a completely different world. And, and uh, he's, he's, uh, you know, the way he operates and the way he uh, just, uh, you know, his his uh, way of handling people is. I got no doubt that he's going to do a great job with that, and that the players will respond to him, and that uh, given time they'll be successful. Now, I want to dive a little bit more into Utah's history a little bit, talking about Jalen Johnson, Terrell Burgess, some of these secondary defensive backs that have come out of Utah late. Marquis Blair, Julian Blackman, two years ago, Marcus Williams. It's been, you know, an underrated, you know, secondary factory for NFL talent of late. Can you speak to kind of the biggest difference that Utah, Utah's football program in developing defensive backs, developing 
secondary talent? What do you think it's been? It's such a big part of, you know, kind of pushing out so much talent in the NFL, specifically at quarterback and safety. Well, a few things. Number one, you got to give a ton of credit to our defense coordinator, Morgan Stanley, who also coaches the safeties, and Sharif Shah, who's our corner coach. And those guys do a great job of, first of all, getting the right talent in the program. You know, the guys with the upside, the guys with the with the skill set that uh, you have to have to be a successful defensive back at this level and beyond. And so that's the first order of business is, is doing uh, your evaluations and making sure that we recruit the right type of people. And then once they get them here, those two coaches do a great job of developing that talent and, and uh, getting the most out of out of uh, every player that we have in the secondary. And, and uh, you know, the track record speaks for itself. We've had many, many guys move on to the NFL, as you mentioned. And uh, also... Uh, some of those guys were not defensive backs uh, when they got here. You know, some of them were wide receivers that we converted, and and uh, and so it's a, a situation where we've we've started to have a, a good enough history with these guys that when we approach a player, say, hey, we think that maybe your upside is is greatest at, uh, at this position here. You know, there's credibility because they they understand that uh, it's worked in the past for several guys in our program, and, and so that helps out as well as getting the right people in the right spots. I think that's, you know, that's obvious and how well those, you know, those players specifically have translated so quickly in the NFL. I think that's what I've been most impressed with. I had an opportunity to talk to Jalen Johnson in the pre-draft process last year and just his instincts, his knowledge of the game was really what stood out for me in addition to obviously being super successful there on the outside. Looking ahead now to Utah football this upcoming season, a lot of the conversation, a lot of the spotlight is around Charlie Brewer, and you read a lot of the article content coming out right now around him. A lot of people are excited about Charlie Brewer. I think it's not headline includes he's a dog. Talk about what Charlie Brewer specifically brings to this football team and kind of the expectations surrounding him this upcoming season. Well, the first thing that uh, the first adjective you use in describing Charlie is, is toughness. I mean, that's he's got a great deal of toughness and, and competitiveness. Uh, he's a guy that uh, is just driven, and he's he's only been here for what six months now, but he's really made a big impact in the time he's been here. Had a terrific spring ball, really uh, progressed and, and uh, digested the offense, and and did a great job running the offense. Now, all that being said, he's going to have a challenge with Cam Rising in this fall camp. Cam was the guy that uh, ultimately won the job last year uh, in a back competition and, and got hurt in the first quarter of the first game. And so it was a significant shoulder injury, and so it knocked him out of commission for, for several months. But now he's back and cleared and uh, ready to compete again this fall camp. And so uh, between Charlie and Cam, it should be a great battle. But, but getting back to Charlie, he's just got that, that it factor that you look for in a quarterback. He's, uh, he's a type of guy that uh, the other players will rally around. They believe in him, and uh, he just exudes confidence. He's, a, he's, a, he's got that field general mentality. I think where where I can finish here, and I really appreciate the time. I know you don't have you know super busy guy, but I'd love to talk a little bit about the skill players and specifically the depth you have there offensively. I know you're getting Brayden Kobe back, a little bit of an older veteran player, injury mission trip kind of leaves more eligibility for him. And Jalen Dixon didn't get an opportunity to play in 2020, but what end was going to transfer? He'll be back there at Utah. I know the running back you've added some depth. You know LSU transfer Chris Curry, Oklahoma transfer TJ Fletcher, also a former UC Bearcat named Adrian Thomas that went to the community college route for a little bit. So what is your opinion of on the best you have there at running back and receiver? And who do you feel like are going to be some clear-cut leaders for both those groups? Yeah, we feel good about uh, both those positions. We feel good about the offense in its entirety, for that matter. We've got uh, a bunch of offensive linemen back. We think we have maybe one of the best, if not the best, 
tight end groups in the country uh, as far as uh, just as a unit. And so we've got a lot of weapons and, and uh, receiving core specifically. Britton Covey is the headliner. He's the guy that has been with us for, uh, for a lot of years now. He's also one of the best punt return guys in the country. Uh, you know, he's all Pac-12 as a freshman and, and just this past year as a punt returner. And so he's a weapon for us. Jalen Dixon, you mentioned, has got great speed. He's the, probably the fastest receiver that we got on the team. I think he's like a 10-4, 10-300-meter guy. And, and uh, we've got uh, a lot of maturity and a lot of depth at that position, a lot of upperclassmen. And so uh, we got that with a blend of uh, some new recruits that we're really excited about. So, so between the receiving core and then the running backs, as you mentioned, uh, we think we should be uh, have a chance to be pretty competitive on offense and pretty productive. Fantastic stuff, Coach. I really appreciate the time. Kyle Whittingham joins the show. We are cleaning up on the head coach interviews in college football. We're going to have uh, Jeff Collins uh, there at Georgia Tech on the podcast here pretty soon. We're also going to look into a handful more. We'll continue to send out these emails and get some people on, which is a lot of fun. I want Matt Canada too, Dave. We're going to get Matt Canada on. Uh, we are we are cleaning up here in the summer. Excited about it. Very much looking forward to it. Really appreciate everyone who works on 2 Foreign Drafts podcast. Producer Dave, producer Max Chadwick, Mike Quinn, Mike Renner, Austin Gale, 2 Foreign Drafts. 